Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Yeah, super thankful for just Kelly and Ethan's uh, testimony and the way God used uh, that season of singleness in their lives and that gift of singleness, as Ethan shared sometimes. Uh, some of those gifts cannot feel like a gift uh, at times along the journey, but uh, God can use those in just incredible ways in our life. We looked last week at First uh, Corinthians 7 and just this thought of how Paul had given us this picture of how singleness can be used in a time in our life for just undistracted devotion to Christ and what uh, blessings can come from that. And so thankful for people that uh, that I know in this church that are in a season of singleness and are using their gifts for the glory of God and some that may be called to, to long-term singleness and, and just the purity of devotion to Christ that can happen in those moments. And maybe uh, you are like me and you hear their story this morning and maybe uh, you weren't as patiently waiting. Maybe your story uh, has some spots on the journey that you wish you could uh, go back and, and change. Maybe you have some uh, places along the way that are like that, but I am thankful uh, that we have a God of restoration. I'm thankful that we have a God who is redeeming. Uh, I'm thankful that no matter what situation that you walk in uh, to this place with uh, today, no matter what circumstances are in your past, uh, I want to remind you this morning that, uh, that our purity is not based on our past, but on our position in Christ. And this morning, we uh, can find grace and help in our time of need. We can uh, turn from, from things that are... Um, there are places we're going a different direction and we can follow God's plan and just find uh, incredible blessing. If you're single today, I want to encourage you that uh, we're going to be looking at the gift of marriage today. Last week, we focused more on singleness, but this week, we're going to talk some about marriage and this marriage relationship. And I want to encourage you not to check out in those moments, but to, uh, to listen and, and learn the person that, that you want to be as you enter into marriage, if God calls you to that. Uh, and to, to look for the right kind of person uh, that you would want to marry uh, one day. We'll, we'll see some of those things. Now, we've had some fun along the way with Cowie Date Night. Uh, some of you have uh, shared uh, pictures on social media and hashtagged Cowie Date Night. I'll, I'll share a couple. One uh, was from last Wednesday, and so we see a, a group of ladies. This was our widow's banquet last week, and just some wonderful ladies. Some of you in the room, just a wonderful time there. Uh, also, uh, another one that was a favorite was uh, the Pates. So Ernie Pate shared this picture, and he said this. He said, Brother Jason preached that we need a date night to help our marriages. You need to listen to the word your pastor preaches. So we're in Putacana, Dominican Republic. Uh, hola. So, um, good job, uh, Ernie. I want to remind all you guys uh, in the room, if you're dating or if you are married, uh, Valentine's Day is this week, right? Happens every year. Happens every year. And, and if, you're, uh, if your spouse uh, says, hey, I don't want anything, I, I just want to tell you she's lying. Um, and y'all need to stop doing that, right? That's sinful. And so um, y'all know it's true. And so, yeah, so be, be aware of that. Just trying to help everybody out. Now, maybe you're thinking this year's special. 
and you want to give her something kind of expensive for Valentine's. I, uh, I, I saw my friend Adam Drake uh, put some posts on social media. I, I stole this one uh, from him. Maybe you're looking for something expensive this year. Got an idea for a gift for you. Um, <laughs> just an idea. Uh, maybe, maybe you're single and you're looking for the perfect, um, the perfect, like, you know, lines to, to, uh, to talk to uh, that girl that you've been wanting to ask out. I saw another one on his that was just great. And then here it is. It says, the Bible says to think about whatever is pure and lovely. So I've been thinking about you all day. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I saw another one and it's pretty fitting for us as a church right now. If you're joining in with the, the church reading plan, uh, we have uh, just began the book of Numbers. And uh, here was another one, right? I've been reading the book of Numbers. And I realized I don't have yours. Now, I just want to tell you now, it, you may think those pickup lines are lame, right? You may think that they're not going to work. I can tell you, honestly, the ones that worked on Sherry were much, much uh, worse, right? And so um, I don't know how I, uh, I, I got here. I think one of them was even like, drop that dud and come with the stud. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm saying. I'm, I'm, it's been a long time, but I, it, it worked. I don't know. We say all those kind of things, right? We, we say funny uh, stuff and lots of, lots of funny moments along the way. But Sherry and I have been married for 25 years this past December, and when we got married, and, and I like to say now we still really don't know anything, but when we got married, we definitely uh, just had no idea what was going on. We, uh, we met with a, a pastor that was going to marry us, a family friend, and he came up from Atlanta to do the wedding, and the night before the wedding was the entirety of our premarital counseling. He gave us a book that we never read, and he, and he assumed something because, you know, she was a, a pastor's daughter. And uh, here, here I was in church, mostly because she was a pastor's daughter, um, if I'm honest, in the midst, right? But, but we, we had no idea what we were doing in this thing called marriage, no idea what life would look like and the challenges that, that you face in marriage or, or how those things work. Um, but he assumed, and I remember him saying, you know, sometimes I do some premarital counseling, but I know you guys are good. And that's kind of the myth sometimes. And when we, we see a lot of people really have no idea what God's plan is for marriage. And what we see in our culture is something so far from God's design for marriage. And, and unfortunately, sometimes even in the church, even in Christian people, we don't see a very beautiful display of what it looks like to live according to God's plan. Now, there's a, a Super Bowl that'll take place uh, tonight and, and these teams will be uh, the success that they have will be largely contingent on how well they follow the coach's plan, right? How well they execute those things. And sometimes we feel like there's no idea what it looks like to, to experience an abundant marriage. We've been in the series called Abundant Life and and we think about, you know, what's it what's it look like to really experience those things? Do we really have a plan. You know, speaking of the Super Bowl, there was a guy that, 
had gone to the Super Bowl, got a ticket for himself, and he was kind of way up in the nosebleed section, but he was there. So he was, uh, he was excited just to be there. And as he was looking down in just the most prime spots, there was this one seat by this guy, and it was just by himself there. And he was just kind of there, and here's this seat, and he's looking at it through the first half of the ball game. And he's thinking, you know, I'm going to go down there. And, I mean, nobody's in the seat. I'm, I'm wondering, maybe I can get a little closer seat. So he wanders down there, and he begins to strike up conversation with this guy. And the guy says, you know, he said, well, that seat was, was for my wife. She said, it's the, you know, we, we've never missed a Super Bowl together since like 1967. And he's talking to him about all those things. And he, he goes on to say, yeah, well, she, she passed away. And the guy's feeling, you know, just really touched by, by that. And, and Stern, he says, I'm so sorry, man. He said, wasn't there like a, like a family member or a good friend or somebody that could have come along with you? And the guy just looked back and forth for a second, and he said, well, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> so I'm imagining that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And so I'm imagining that for marriage for that guy, it was really all about him. And, you know, the world says that we find abundance in our lives by finding and, and somebody meeting all of our needs. And we see those kind of things uh, in our culture. But, but what we see in the scripture is that abundance is found in Christ and in uh, our marriages. It's found in submission to God's plan. It's, it's his plan lived among his people, submitted to his purpose. And we're going to look at some of those places along the way you know, we, we recognize that in our culture, there's not a beautiful display. We shared that. And Howard Hendricks, who was a, a preaching professor at Dallas uh, Seminary, wrote a book in the 90s, and it was in the early 90s, and he said this, we're surrounded by foreign, hostile, and home-shattering influences in our world today. We see those, right? Yes. They're all around. He said, the supportive elements of society no longer feed us and shade us. The Christian home must blossom in a field of weeds. And it's beautiful when it does. And, and it's my hope that as God's people and as the people of Cowie, that our families could display something beautiful, that we could blossom in the midst of a field of weeds. And then it might be a glorifying and God glorifying aroma uh, in the midst of this World. Last week, we were reminded that God had created marriage for our good and his glory. We looked at a few verses from Genesis chapter 2, and we were reminded that God looked and said, it's not good for man to be alone, and, and, and he created a helper suitable for him. Uh, not a mirror of Adam, but one that would complete him, a puzzle that would, would fit together with him and complete him and, and, and complement him. We see this beautiful picture of God taking and fashioning this woman from his rib, from a, a piece of his side. And the Bible records the first words of man. And it's a love poem, right, to his bride. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then we read these words that we so familiarly hear and we see these words, we're gonna see them referred to by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. We'll see New Testament, we'll see Jesus point back to these in the New Testament. And he says, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And I wanna remind you, it's so important. 
that there's a leaving. It's, it's called for in our marriages, and, and it's so important. So many times we can see marriage uh, begin, and there still be uh, a, a allegiance and a dependence on mom and dad. But here's what we see in the Scripture. God intended for a man to leave his father and mother, and that he might cut the cord of allegiance. Now, we see in the Scripture that we're to honor our father and mother, and none of those things change. But there's a cord of allegiance and a cord of dependence that we see. And what we see in marriage is that God has designed this relationship, this relationship between a husband and a wife to be the relationship of priority in our life. Outside of our relationship with God, the most important human relationship that we experience is that with our spouse. And so there's parents in this room that may need to release some of that because you understand this is God's plan that they would leave their father and mother. This man would do that. And, and then he would have this new role. He would be protector and provider. He would be uh, the one that would begin to establish family for himself. And, and we would see this leaving. And not only is there this leaving, there's this cleaving. There's this permanence, right? For this reason, a man would leave his father and mother and, and, and he would be united to his wife. He would cleave unto his wife and they would experience what we'll call Oneness. It's this beautiful togetherness, this beautiful unity, this permanence in this covenant relationship. And we've got to be careful, right? Because there's a priority. And sometimes even uh, other things, right? It's not only uh, maybe a leaving and cleaving from parental relationships, but sometimes we can replace that. You know, God gave us this, this beautiful command to be fruitful and multiply. And all of a sudden, these little, uh, little mini versions of us are running around. And then all of a sudden, we can have marriage. We can have our, our whole life be centered on them. We can have that relationship become even an idol in our marriage and, and, and something that can distract from this relationship that God has made as a priority. And the greatest gift by the way. Some of you are thinking, hey, well, well little, little Junior, he's so cute. And, and you know, he, he's still with us. And he, you know, well, well, as long as he's little, I'm going to keep him right there. And he can sleep right between me and daddy the whole time. No, that's so horrible. Well, listen, this is, this is just reality, right? I mean, I mean, some guys in the room, like, listen, and, and I know, like, we adore our little ones. We do that. We, we adore them. But the greatest gift that you can give your children is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be a husband and wife. The greatest gift that you could give them is modeling what it looks like to do relationships according to the Word of God. It's the greatest gift you can have. And so we've got to be careful. We can't have kid-run homes. We can't have kid-centered homes. We have God-centered homes that then fall in submission to the authority of God and in the order that God has designed it in the number one relationship in my life is my bride and she's beautiful over there. Hey, baby. <laughs> and so we see this picture, right? And this is not about uh, this, this union that we come together. It's not about a selfish person getting what they want. It, it is about surrendered people giving in the midst of this relationship, my favorite commentary on Genesis chapter 2 comes from Matthew Henry. And he says this, that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. Right? There's this picture of equal but different. Complimentary, made on purpose, right? And we, we walk in accordance to God's plan and we experience abundant 
marriage. Look in with me in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to walk through uh, Ephesians over the next few weeks. We're going to walk through Ephesians 5 and uh, the last part of Ephesians 5, part of Ephesians 6. Let's, let's stand together. Uh, take your copy of God's Word. We're going to read verse 22 through 29 this morning uh, before, we, before we jump in, and then uh, we'll see how far we, we get today. Uh, but as you direct your attention to the Word of God, uh, we read this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself, the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wife as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. For the word of God, Lord, we're thankful that in the midst of a world, uh, God, where our culture has discounted and devalued this institution of marriage, this gift that you've given to us for, for our good and to glorify you, God, in the midst of a culture that has tried to redefine so many things about marriage, Lord, we are reminded that this is your design, God, that you created marriage and only you define it, Lord, and you give us instruction through the word of God that we might function in the midst of this broken world and that we might be light, that we might be a, a fragrant aroma in the midst of weeds, God, that we might be a, a blossoming flower, Lord, for the world to look at. And God, I pray that for every marriage in this room, God, I pray that uh, you would remind us, Lord, of the incredible hope uh, that we have in you, Lord, of the redeeming and restoring work that you can do. Lord, I pray that, that you would help us, Lord, to submit to your plan. God, I pray for those that have experienced uh, divorce, God, and maybe uh, ha have gone through difficult times in previous marriages, God, and, and in a difficult situation, Lord, I pray that you could allow... Uh, your redeeming and restoring work to be in their lives. God, I pray if they're remarried, God, that you could help them in the marriage that they are in, God, to be uh, different, God, and, and to live for the glory of your name. Lord, for single people in this room, I, God, I pray that you would prepare them uh, for that day they would marry, Lord. And if they are called to long-term singleness, Lord, that you would give them peace in the midst of that, that they might use their lives in devotion to you, God. And we're reminded that whether we're single or we are married, that you are preparing a bride. Lord, and I pray, God, that you would work to conform us to your image, Lord, and that we might be prepared for that day that Jesus will return for his bride, God, your church. And Lord, that we might glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. You may be seated this morning. Um, now, we hear these kind of words, and if you're uh, reading the King James or, or an ESV or different translations, you might have read that first sentence, and you would read these words, wives submit to your husbands. Now, those are words that we don't love in our culture. Those are words that sometimes people read those words, and, and it's almost like an offensive thing for someone to think about. And I want to I just recognize a couple of things. We, 
traditionally have not seen beautiful displays. I've, I've been blessed to see. There was an older couple that just took Sherry and I in our, uh, their lives as we were uh, just newly married. We actually rented a little place from them and stayed in a little trailer that was on their property. And uh, their name was Hillard and Virgie Soulsby. And he, he had hair like mine. And, and I, would, I would look up and, and they were just a little old lady and they would chase each other around the house kind of slow. Um, I think they probably used to chase fast, you know, but they were old. And every time I would see him near her, like she would, she'd be getting some cookies out of the oven. He'd, hey, baby, <laughs> and he just, like, and, and I, wasn't it? Like every time, like I don't think there was ever a time he was near her that somehow he didn't do this. And, and what I saw was something incredibly beautiful. And I saw something that was incredibly uh, attractive, right? It was this beautiful marriage where a husband and wife were serving one another for the glory of God. And they were living uh, in, in this beautiful fellowship with one another. And he uh, was leading her. And, and it was just this picture of, and I said, you know, one day if I'm, you know, I just want to, when I grow up, I want to be like that. I, I want us to have a marriage like that. And every time Sherry bends over to get cookies or everything. So <laughs> the early service didn't get all this. Y'all don't tell. Um, I just never know what's going to happen. And so, and so we've not seen that modeled beautifully many times. Right? One commentator said it this way. The truth of this text. I've got to get back home. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't mean that that way. Anyway, um, the truth of this text have been perverted and abused by disordered and sinful men. And so I want you to hear this. When you hear the word submit and you hear this word headship, I want you to hear this. The, the truths of this text have been perverted and abused by disordered and sinful men. God's holy word in the hands of a religious fool can do immense harm. I've seen couch potatoes who order their wives and children around like the Grand Sultan of Morocco, adulterous misogynists with the domestic ethics of Jabba the Hutt who cow their wives around with Bible verses about submission, insecure men whose wives do not dare go to the grocery store without permission, who even tell their wives how to dress. But the fact that evil, disordered men have perverted God's word is no reason to throw it out. And we've seen some poor examples of what it looks like to see this biblical model of headship and submission. Look, we've seen those things. And sometimes those things have been done uh, and, and proclaimed that somehow they were following the scriptures. And one way that we've seen that is, is what was described here. This dictator, top-down kind of look that says, I'm in charge. And by the way, uh, I've heard men say in my office, I am in, in kind of a mad voice, I am the head of the house. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if you have to say that, you're not, just so you know, Amen. right? And, and so we see this dictatorship kind of thing. And in the worst form, it can result in this abusive behavior. It can result in, in just horrible pictures. And so what's happened in our culture has, has been a turning from this, this, this horrible picture that might have been seen. And so what we normally see in our culture is a home without leadership. We see a home where people have said, hey, we're, we're, we're equal. And, and there's something nice about the thought of, of the heart behind some of that. But they're saying, hey, we're equal. And what we see is that God did create man and woman equal. But he created them different, and he created them different for a purpose. And when we, when we see this 50-50 this model of our world, we find homes uh, that, that literally are, are, are 
just leaderless marriages where men uh, have been in, in this godly look of biblical masculinity. And I, and I just want to encourage you, we, we want to be a church that raises up godly men. We want to be people who see people like Hillard in my life and say, you know what, when, when, when I walk through my life, I want to live that kind of way. I want to, I want to lead my wife in this kind of way. I want to be people. We need to be a church where our kids look around and they see godly examples in the midst of the weeds of, of these blossoming blossoming relationships where biblical marriage is taking place and it's a beautiful thing. And we unapologetically, right, we see that, that there's a, a God-given role of masculinity and we want to lift that high. We want to live in that in a world who is trying to destroy everything about it. And, and so what we see is these two extremes. But what we see in the scripture is God's plan, this covenant relationship where, where he brings these two people together and they're running this race of Christianity with endurance and they're running it together, recognizing that God has made them differently on purpose for a purpose. And when we see God's people walking in that, we see them submitted to his plan, right? Submitted to God's plan. We see them surrender to his purpose. And what we see is this, this beautiful, selfless enjoyment of their place in the family. And so today I want to encourage you that when you look at God's word, you'll see something beautiful. And so we want to define some of these roles in marriage. And we want to give you a biblical definition. And we're going to start with the men, but because God intends for men to lead their homes. He intends for them uh, to be the head of the home. We see God's uh, creation and his design uh, was that way. In the beginning, God had created man and he had placed him in the garden to cultivate and keep it. And so you young people, remember, God gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. And so you need to be people that are understanding like you are providers and protectors, you are going in to this thing and you're called to be this protection and this, this beautiful provision in our families, right? And so here's this definition. This comes uh, partly from an uh, a authentic manhood study and it's defined this way. It says, headship is the, is the husband's divinely appointed role to provide responsible servant leadership in his home divinely appointed, appointed by God, and he is responsible. There is an, uh, an umbrella and this protection and, and this guarding, right? And he understands he is responsible. That doesn't mean that, that I do uh, everything and I lead in every area when it comes to, Sherry's uh, sure, sure much more organized than I am, much more gifted in those kind of things, much more gifted in uh, the financial side of things and taking care of, of all those places. And so I can lead in that without micromanaging that. I can still uh, walk in that but, but allow her to use her God-given gifts and talents to lead our family uh, in, in the management of so much of that area with still this responsible uh, oversight in that, with this responsible navigation in that. So there's this responsibility, but the key that I want you to see is there's this call for servant leadership. And this is where so many times it's been missed. And a servant leader, right? Is, and, and by the way, when you look at the scripture, and we say this as a staff, it, the only Leader, the only biblical model of leadership is servant leadership. And this is what Jesus has modeled for us. And a servant leader is somebody who takes initiative 
for the benefit of others. And so when we think about a servant leader in the home, there's this, this picture of this man who is taking initiative for the benefit of his wife and his family. We see him not living for his own needs instead of this selfish view of the culture that says, I'm concerned with what's best for me and I want all my needs met. And you better somehow be able to meet all those things. This man is looking and he's saying, what is best for my wife and my family? What is best for them? And Jesus gave us this beautiful example, right? We see Jesus wash his disciples' feet. And in John chapter 13, verse 12 to 16, we read these words. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you not know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. But if I then, the teacher, the Lord and teacher washed your feet, you ought to wash another's, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. And so, men, in places in our life where we are, are given boss or Lord or, or, or leadership responsibility, when we are in those places where we are teacher or maybe we're referred to as boss in our workplace, when it's those kind of places, we use those places not so that we can be served. We use those places to serve others. Husbands, wherever you have power in your life, you use it to serve your wife. Wives, wherever you have power in your life, you use it to submit to your husband's leadership. It's a beautiful picture. And you might say, you know what? My, my wife doesn't deserve that. You don't know my husband. He, he doesn't deserve that. Did the disciples deserve that our Savior would wash their feet? And do we deserve the grace that has been extended to us? But when men will lead in that way, a wife experiencing those things, she will experience a husband that is pouring his life out for her benefit. A husband who is going to bed tired, who is living his life for the glory of God and the good of his family. So let's define submission. We define headship. Submission is this, the wife's divinely appointed role to use her gifts and her attitude to affirm her husband's leadership and initiative. You ladies have no idea how powerful your words are in your husband's life. You have no idea the amount of impact in the way that your attitude can be toward us. And, and I want to remind you that submission is something that a wife gives, not something that a husband demands. It is a gift that is given. It is a, it is a picture that a husband says, hey, I'm listening and reading the word of God and I'm pouring my life out. I'm loving my wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church. And in response to that, there's this beautiful submission to that leadership. It is this divinely appointed role. It's God's design. And, and here's what happens. When you do this, God takes your response and your gifts of submission and he uses that to make your husband into the man that he wants him to be. When you walk in God's plan, you are coming alongside and you're saying, you know what, I want to I encourage and embrace and support and I want him, I want, I, I want my wife to look at me and I know in my heart that she does this. And she says, you know what, and when we read the scripture that, that God created a, a helper, that he made a helper suitable 
for him. It's not meaning like that she's less than. It's meaning that I'm in need of help. And God knows that like, like the words that she says, the, the engagement that we have. Y'all can think a lot of different things about me and it'll affect me so much. But what she thinks about me, and it means everything. And it changes everything. The attitude that, that she walks with. And, and I read a book recently uh, that was talking about the secrets of a highly happy marriage. And uh, in the app, you'll see these uh, listed at the end of the sermon notes. But they come up with these fantastic five. And these were things that a woman could do for her husband. And you'll see how these are uh, supported biblically in this. And she, and she says this uh, in the book. She says, he notices his effort and sincerely thanks him for it. You have no idea what an impact it makes when you as a woman just notice that we're trying like notice our effort when it comes to, the, to mowing the yard and it's hot or, or helping with the kids when we're tired or whatever those things are, just recognizing that and noticing it. Number two uh, was that she, she would say that you did a great job at this. Like, like we need that. When you read this, this passage, what you see is that God has designed men to need respect and he's designed women to need love, right? And we, we see the command that we have to love and, and, and we see this command that women are to respect their husband. And when we experience that and we feel valued, it's incredible. And what happens? Number three, that you would mention in front of other people something he did well. We live in a time where so many times what we're saying in front of other people is degrading. What we're saying and, 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 and listen, we need to knock off this like we go to work and talk bad uh, about our husbands and we talk like they're, you know, the, the sitcom world that we live in has made all men these big goobers that somehow you make fun of and all the things that are there, right? But here's the reality that, that when we, as women, come alongside in that way and encourage, number four, showing that she desires him physically and he pleases her in that way. Uh, number five, that it, she makes it clear to him that he makes her happy. Like that's all we really want. Like we want what we're doing and the things that we're doing to be pleasing and to make our brides happy. Interesting. Here, here's a, another picture for the ladies here, or for the men. Here's the things that you can do. Some examples, the top five things according uh, to these surveys. One was that we would just take her hand. That when we're walking through a parking lot and there's like bonus points right now if you just reach over and get her hand like where you're at. <laughs> Good job, good job. I saw some out of the corner of my eye. This is, this is easy, it's easy, right? And, and just this, just this, you know, reaching over, right? Just reaching over and taking her hand, walking through a parking lot, leaving a, a message by voicemail, email, text throughout the day. And, and all it has to say is, hey, I, I just wanted you to know you're on my mind and I love you. I can't wait till you're home making them cookies and I come by and say hello. It's going to be great. Like just putting his arm around her, putting his hand on her knee when they're in public, those kind of things, just incredibly things. To, to look at her and just go, hey, baby, I just need you to know you are beautiful. The impact of that is incredible. And, and for us guys to pull ourselves out of those places when we kind of get in a, a little weird spot and we're, we're uh, uh, the, the way it words it, it says to pull himself uh, out when he's grumpy or upset about something instead of withdrawing, right? So instead of just pulling away, just, hey, we're going to suck it up, right? We're just going to kind of keep plugging on because this is what God's called us to do. And so we see this plan, right, that God has. And, and the things that I just listed, those are super simple things, but they make an incredible impact. But the most important thing, right, we walk in God's plan but the second thing is we understand God's purpose. And I want to I close with just a, a few verses. And I want to bring this thing together. But in verse 26 and 27, there's this picture of...
of, of Christ and the church. And so in, in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then there's a so that. So what, what, what was the, the work that was going on in this? And he said, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And, and I want to encourage you, men and women, there is more at stake in our marriage than what we realize. God is working through this relationship as a couple to conform us to the image of his son, to make us look like him. He is concerned in the midst of our marriage that the interaction that we have would, would work to produce holiness in our lives. I've heard it said that God desires holiness in our marriage more than our happiness. And sometimes he'll allow us to go through difficult seasons that he might work to conform us to his image. But I want to tell you that as we are conformed to his image, as we allow God to work in our lives, we experience happiness. We experience joy. And whether you are single or whether you are married, God is working to prepare a bride. God is working to prepare his church for Jesus. And he is working to conform us to the image of his son. And the more we look like him, the better our lives will be. The more we look like him, the better the lives of people around us will be. You know, Sherry and I, we knew nothing about marriage. And several years into our marriage, we went to a marriage conference and I got a glimpse of God's plan for marriage. And it changed everything about my life. It changed everything about the way that I interacted with her. It changed everything about what I understood my role to be as a man and to realize that one day, one glad day, I'm going to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One glad day, I'm going to stand there in the Bible tells us that in the resurrection, there is no marriage, that there's a temporary relationship that God has given me with my bride. And it's this beautiful relationship that we enjoy in these moments, but there has to be greater purpose, right? That, that, that in heaven, there's not going to be marriage. Now I've asked for her to be my roommate. I think the Lord's going to grant me that, right? But here's the thing. When I recognize that one day I'm going to stand before God and she is his daughter. And one day I'm going to stand before him. And it's my hope that because of my obedience to him and the way that I've lived my life, that she has been sanctified, that she has been made to look more like Jesus. And God accomplishes his work. He accomplishes his work, even if it's through difficult things in our marriage. God can use uh, unsubmitted, just people to him where men are jerks and where women are not walking in those kind of things. He can use even those things to conform us to his image and to work. But I want you to know I am hopeful that my obedience to him in love is what he is able to use in our marriage to conform my wife to look like him. That God would use that. And so in verse 28, we see this command and I hope that you can hear it afresh. Husbands, he said, so husbands, Ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. And for this reason, Paul goes back to Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Marriage is a blessing. It is a gift. But the greatest blessing is knowing Jesus. The greatest blessing is finding contentment in him 
alone, whether you are married or whether you are single, that you would submit to Christ, that you would live for the glory of his name. And so men, if you are married in this room, if you are a young person or if you're an older person and you one day long to be married, when you are in that relationship, love your wives. It is an act of the will. It is a verb, love your wives. The scripture says, as Christ loved the church, sacrificially living and pouring your life. At the end of our day, right, men, we should go to bed worn out from giving of ourselves for the good of our family. Not this selfish desire that says, I'm gonna come home and my family better serve me and I better have my food ready and I better have this and I better have that. And, and yes, there's beautiful ways that we can serve one another in love. But, but when we live our lives and say, we're gonna pour our lives out for the good of our family, we're gonna surrender to God's design and recognize that it's in the little things that this is communicated so much. So husbands, love your wives and wives respond to that love and encourage your husband and allow your words to edify him. Allow your words to build him up. Fuel that call that he has to be a, a leader in your home. Recognize the good. Recognize those things. And as you surrender to God's design, we see this beautiful picture. This, we need to redeem manhood and womanhood for the glory of God in the midst of a broken world where we see something that looks like Jesus, where we see servant leadership and Christ-like submission lived out for all the world to see. Where the world sees two broken people in a broken world with a faithful God pointing them and, and, and living out of an overflow, right? We said that abundant life is experienced out of, out of relationship with one another in relationship to God. That, that first of all, our relationship with God would overflow into our lives because here's the thing, none of us can do this on our own. If we are desiring to walk in this, we will never do it in our own strength. We first must submit to God's authority in our life and, and, and in dependence on him, live every day, dying to ourselves, dying to the things of this world and asking him in the power of his spirit that he might help us to live obedient lives in Christ in these beautiful relationships that he has given us for the glory of his name. I want to pray for us. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your savior. And I want to encourage you this morning that we see this beautiful picture and this beautiful display of God's love for us through the cross of Christ. The scripture says that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. If you've never trusted Jesus for salvation, this morning I pray that you would turn from your sin and you would turn to Christ. That you would recognize that he lived the perfect life, the life that we could not live, and that he died the death that we deserved. That on the third day he rose from the grave. And then if we would look to the cross and recognize that when Jesus died on that cross that he was dying in our place taking on all of our sin and all of our shame. And we come in surrender. We come in surrender and repentance. God, I've gone my own way. Lord, I know I've sinned and I've fallen short of your glory and your grace. But you love me and you gave your life so that I might be made new. We come in surrender and repentance. We believe the truth of the gospel and by faith we are saved and forgiven. And redeemed and restored. If you don't know Jesus, I pray this morning that you would surrender to him. Even in these moments. For husbands and wives in the room, I pray that this morning might be a moment of surrender. 
a moment that no matter where you've been and what's going on in your lives, that you would recognize that we have a God who is redeeming and restoring. A God who takes broken pieces and makes masterpieces. A God who allows difficult places in our life to be bad chapters of incredible stories, incredible books. And that you might together in submission and surrender to Christ say from this day forward we're going to live according to his word and God I pray this morning that you would help me there may be some that just need to come and thank God for his blessings to pray and ask for his help Lord we confess and know that we are dependent on you that in our own strength Lord we have no hope but Lord we we come knowing that with you all things are possible Lord even marriages that might have walked into this room in, in brokenness and strain Lord I pray there might be men in this room that would that would just ask for help say God my, my headship hadn't looked like much but today I pray that you would help me to be a servant leader to my bride to my family maybe there's a wife in here that instead of building up has been tearing down And today you'd come and say, Lord, I need your help. Help me to be that helper that's suitable for him, that's, that's helping him be who you want him to be. And may all these relationships work together for good in your people, Lord, that you might conform us to your image and you might let us be a display for the world to see of, of your love and the relationship between Christ and the church. God, we pray you have your will and way in every single life. Lord, we pray that, God, we would, God, just be obedient to you. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand this morning and worship?